0: We are starting, though, taking a look at what is happening in Surrey when it comes to the future of policing in that city. And a warning from the Surrey Board of Trade saying that they are concerned about business taxation with the fact that there are still two police forces in that city. And the Surrey Board of Trade putting out this information saying they are very concerned about the high or what could potentially be a big spike in taxes because of the costs of policing in Surrey. Well, that is also part of what is addressed in a new letter that has been written about this. And this is a letter that is slamming the mayor, saying that Brenda Locke has refused to act on this file. Well, Councillor Doug Elford is one of those who wrote this letter, and he joins us now. Councillor Elford, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Uh, thank you for having me, and I uh, just want to take a moment to wish all your listeners a uh, happy Thanksgiving weekend.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, yes, so hopefully everyone is gearing up to have a very happy weekend and a long weekend, uh, if people have that as well. I uh, want to talk to you about some of what is written in this letter. You and uh, Councillor Mandeep Nagra uh, both saying that the mayor was wrong to refuse the $150 million, that offer from the province, and uh, accusing the mayor of uh, obstructing the transition no can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Well I, I, the 150 million dollars uh, you know at this point in time staff we know what's available and it was indicated in a uh, letter uh, by the ADM. and as a result uh, we, we have not had staff direct a negotiation to to begin the process, which is quite challenging because that affects our budgeting as we move forward.
0: Right, and and the I know in the past the mayor has addressed this, and certainly when when it was announced that uh, the pro, or that the city the uh, the decision had been made, or, or she was continuing with keeping or going back to the RCMP, uh, the mayor has put out some numbers saying, well, there are cost savings, uh, there are other ways that that money could potentially be made up. How do you re- respond to to that kind of reasoning or or that explanation as to why it's not really giving up that money?
1: I'm not quite sure uh, uh, at this point in time what she's talking about. Uh, uh, As people are aware, uh, we discuss things through the finance committee when we get together and talk about real numbers and budgets. And it's very challenging to talk about uh, numbers that are put out in the media because uh, we're not really getting an accurate account of what's going on. So it's really hard to comment on that when when, uh, really it's, it's not accurate.
0: You uh, are a councillor on, on the Surrey City Council uh, with the mayor, Brenda Locke. Have there been discussions or what happens when you try and speak with the mayor, even if it's not through, uh, through say, a council meeting or, or in that type of, of environment? But, but what happens if it's even just trying to have a casual conversation or address things, uh, councillor to mayor, mayor to councillor?
1: Well, generally, that's very challenging to comment on because most of the um, discussions are in camera. So it's, it's very hard for me to uh, voice an opinion in public when I am sort of um, bound by the legislation not being able to comment on it. But we have not had any, any uh, personal one-on-ones regarding the police and, and positions on that. We both are very strong in our positions one way or the other, and that's that is very obvious.
0: And um, so, yeah, and I get that. So with, with in-camera meetings, but uh, without getting into any of the details then, that, so it sounds like, like you said, it's not as though the casual conversations or, or other type meetings are even happening?
1: Well, uh, as far as casual conversations, not, not at this time. There is some meetings planned, upcoming meetings planned, and I'm eager to see what exactly the content of them it's going to be moving forward because we got to get going on this that's the bottom line here joe we got to we we can't just delay delay we have to move forward and it, at the expense of the taxpayers we're we're spending way too much money
0: is it still the number of was it 8 million dollars a month or around that price as far as having the two police forces that that's what it's costing taxpayers
1: well they call that the burn rate, and and at this point in time, that eight million dollars is out there. But again, having not sat down with our financial uh, people to get the real numbers, it's very very challenging to comment on a number that's out in the public. To me, it's it's we have to move forward. We have to get into the uh, the finance committee meetings and discuss the budget and the direction. Discussing the media is is uh, it's not uh, it doesn't work.
0: Right. So, is none of that happening? Because, because I know we have heard from Mayor Locke, and she had expressed some concern about not having a financial plan or not seeing any of those numbers. So, is is none of that happening to try and figure out? Because, uh, like you said, something uh, needs to. This needs to be dealt with. This this kind of limbo certainly can't go on forever.
1: Well, I guess the part of the problem is in this whole process, and this is my opinion: is we should never been in this position. Uh, a year ago when we supported going or the council supported going back to the RCMP. I put everything on hold for a, basically a year. And this is where the problem is. Now we're back around and we're back to square one where we started. And this is what the challenge is with staff and everybody else. And, and so uh, moving forward, we've got to get going on this. Now there there is a deadline for the SPS to submit a budget. Their numbers and financials are very, very public. And the, S- the police board Uh, Publishes them every month open to the public to see where the numbers are for the police board but it's very kind of information of the rcp it's next to impossible
0: but if it's the mayor saying that uh, don't, I, yes, this cash offer was made. Yes, the province would like us to go with Surrey Police Service. The mayor has come out and said, no, nope, we're not doing that. We are going with the RCMP. What is stopping the mayor then from going ahead and and putting that that uh, that wheel in motion and and doing that?
1: That's a very good question that uh, that uh, many people have speculated upon. Uh, uh, Many suspect that there's uh, an attempt to delay the process uh, down the road. Uh, I'm not quite sure why, because uh, as you're well aware, the provincial uh, government is is the overseeing body for all cities in Missouri. And when they make a decision and make a ministerial ministerial order like they did, we have to abide by that. We have no choice. And and just to to say, no, we're not going to do it, it's, it's not legally possible when you're dealing with an entity that literally could squash like a bug if they want to.
0: Right. So at this point then, so then to, to, so to play the other side of that, so if the mayor has realized now, doesn't matter, I wanted to RCMP, I wanted to go down that route, I can't because this order was made, looks like I've lost this battle, then why wouldn't there be some conceding defeats and move forward with the Surrey Police Service?
1: Well, that is a very good point that I, I ask every day. Why are we not moving forward with this and and, and getting beyond this uh, this uh, file? Because it, it's a done deal. It, everybody's made it. it's a done deal from the top down. Every every uh, little corner you speak with says we're moving forward with uh, with the police service. Let's get moving forward. And, and and just to keep dragging our feet on this makes absolutely no sense. It's it's. Um, that's a question you're going to have to ask the mayor yourself.
0: Right, because it just seems like this is something that, unfortunately, someone is going to win and someone is going to lose. I mean, you have that whenever there's a situation where there's a disagreement. But it seems like it seems like this is just going on and it's leaving Surrey citizens in the middle.
1: Well, it's very obvious from the, the letter that is out there from uh, the ADM that the bureaucrats are very... Um, concerned and frustrated the process as well. And, and, and um, you know, we're going to have to move forward on this quickly. We have our budgets that we have to get uh, through the system as well. It's not just the police. Everybody's affected by this. And in the city, we need to have firm leadership at, at the top in order for us to uh, move forward. Frankly, to me, it's embarrassing at times when when, when our mayor comes out publicly and makes these kind of statements. Uh, and and uh, I'm embarrassed for the city myself as well. And, and we, we need to move forward. We have a lot of other issues we have to deal with in this community. And,
0: and, and, and frankly, again, we need to move, move forward on this right now. How do you put a budget together when you have something as large as this with millions of dollars and without the clear financials as to what it's going to cost?
1: That's a very good question, and, and I have uh, complete admiration for our financial staff and team on, on their projections and what they're projecting and, and the work that they have to do. There's a lot of hard work that staff has to do once we get and uh, confirming what the firm numbers are, and that's where we need to get to that point.
0: And uh, you've written this letter again with Councillor uh, Mandeep Nagra. Any response to the letter at this point?
1: There has been a media response, but uh, that's about it right now.
0: All right. Well, Doug Elford, uh, we will uh, hopefully chat with you again soon. But thank you so much for joining us and uh, for talking more about this.
1: Yes, uh, I am actually frank and of to about this. But yes, I imagine we'll be back again discussing this down the road.
0: <laughs> I think so, for sure. Uh, Doug Elford. thank you again.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Well, a new Ipsos poll finds that Canadians are increasingly looking at home ownership only for those who are perhaps considered in the rich category. Many renters say they are giving up on the goal of being able to save up and purchase a home. It was 73% of people polled said owning a home in Canada is now only for the rich. And three quarters say high interest rates also have them on the sidelines, at least for now. And because of that, they won't be buying or selling a home as a result. Only 20% agree that right now is a good time to be a homeowner. 31% said they agreed or that said that it is a good time to be a renter. Well, we are checking in now with Doug Gibson, real estate agent with Stillhaven Real Estate Services. Doug, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me, Joe.
0: I want to talk a little bit about this and also what you're seeing kind of on the ground when it comes to listings and, say, listings and what's happening in the market. What are your thoughts so when you hear about this poll with, with people kind of, in, in many cases, giving up on that goal of home ownership?
2: Well, it's, it's, you know, disheartening for sure. And I'm empathetic that, you know, especially in lower mainland Toronto, where we have lots, you know, the majority of population, it is very expensive. But I think that there's ways to look at this in, in terms of, you know, one of the ways I was thinking is, you know, people were starting out getting into a, a condo, right? It's not going to be a house necessarily. So yeah, I mean, home ownership for houses is definitely very tricky right now. Um, you know, and the governments are trying with, you know, the new multiplexes that they're allowing in Vancouver. And I do have some other thoughts on, on what they can do. For example, you know, let's scrap Langara Golf Course, which has seventy-five thousand visits, and build you know enough units to have twenty thousand people there, and it'll have a million visits a year. So, the governments, I think, need to get coordinated with their strategies so they're not wasting money. And I think home ownership can become something where you know, in these busy areas, busy places, yeah, it is going to be maybe condo living for a longer period of time into townhouse living and. You know, maybe ideally, if you can get a house. The thing about the city of Vancouver is is houses are effectively going to be disappearing because now to build a house, you get less square footage. You're sort of penalized for building a house versus multiplexes or duplexes and whatnot.
0: Right. So yeah, it's going to become even, even more scarce. Are, are you seeing people though, and this kind of came up the other day, we were talking about a, a different story, talking about uh, a, a proposal in North Delta and a group that's against it saying it's too dense. And why would anybody want to live in a two bedroom, 750 uh, square foot condo and, and raising kids? But uh, I mean, I heard from a lot of people saying, well, hold on a second. I actually would do that. That would, that would be fine. Maybe not forever, but uh, I would do that. Are people kind of shifting what they're thinking about when they're thinking about home ownership and what that looks like?
2: Yeah, I think absolutely. I think if you're going to um, have, you know, a, a positive view or hopeful view of this, it's that you're probably, I, I, my first purchase was a condo. And, and actually when I did buy a home, I purchased it with my mother-in-law because she wasn't in great health. So she sold her home and that was on the Sunshine Coast and we moved into a place together and she lived in the suite. So, you know, I think if you have to get creative with some maybe co ownership like that, maybe you buy with your brother or sister or all three of you buy. But you know, what you said to me, the disheartening part is this is I think there's homeowners who have lived there for a long time, they're probably baby boomers, who say, Oh, that's too dense. Well, this is the reality. The reality is that more and more people need a place to live and and we don't we have a limited amount of space. So yeah, I think you got to get off the, the density negativity and build. I have friends that live in a about a thousand square foot three bedroom condo, and it's in a co housing development that or co op that they love because there's great community there. So there are a lot of solutions, and really it's going to be density where you are in some sort of either townhouse or duplex or multiplex, um, you know that is more dense. And I think the homeowners who don't want that you know, it's not the reality anymore.
0: You mentioned in the city of Vancouver as well, The uh, so, so many of the lots where you'll see a house then become a house maybe with two units or three units in a laneway house and really upping the number of units. Do you see that making a difference though? Because for, when I've seen that happen, it's there's more units for sure, but they still seem to be very expensive.
2: Yeah, I mean, I hear you and it is, it's it is it's, you know, there's not much more of a solution that we can have. We've tried to tax our way out of this issue and, and you know, foreign buyer bans. But, I mean, unfortunately, that needed to happen 15 years ago. And, you know, so we're, we are where we are. And I think in order to maybe slow some of the price increases and whatnot, we do need more units built. And, you know, people will maybe have to purchase out in some of the areas that aren't quite as expensive, which really was the way it was in Toronto when I was growing up. I mean, it was still expensive there and people were either commuting, you know, so we've got better transit options. And and, like, I think if you can build a townhouse with, uh, you know, a, a small office space, then, you know, people working from home or they're doing these flex works. So, There's not much else we can do, Jill. I mean, the prices are where they are. They're they're slowing right now because you have high interest rates. But, you know, a a lot of people are getting help from the bank of mom and dad. Like, it's almost like a pre-inheritance, whatnot. So, you know, over 50% of people in, I think it's Vancouver, if not the lower mainland, are without a mortgage, right? So there's 50, 50, only 50% of people have a mortgage. Um, So you know that i it, it is it's it is challenging but there's not much you can do other than build 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 and i think if you can on all arterial streets if you can build six and eight floor condos maybe with triple pane windows so it's not so noisy and then start building townhouses i mean i get that it's nice to own a house i own a house but owning a condo you don't have to cut the lawn you don't have to clean the gutters you don't have all this maintenance to do i mean Owning a house was, I was really excited about it until my lawn turned to mud all winter long and <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was flip sliding away.
0: Yeah, it's not different types of housing, different types of homes. Certainly, uh, people have their preferences, and one size doesn't uh, doesn't fit all at all. Uh, at, uh, in in any case, uh, I'm curious what you're seeing as far as interest rates, because again, this poll asked people about the interest rates, and they certainly uh, came back answering saying, "Yeah, they're they're still feeling that this this is an issue. Maybe this isn't the time to to move to sell." What are you hearing or seeing from people, and and the impact of the interest rates?
2: Well. You know, when interest rates go up like this, you know, usually the how, what's happening really is under a million dollars is still fairly active. And the lower price point of most uh, property types, one bedrooms, two bedrooms, houses, is still fairly active. So, you know, I know that's not necessarily affordable, but in that lower range, people are still uh, purchasing because the rents are so high right now. Like, that's the other you know, challenges that rents are so high. So people are saying, instead of putting, you know, 3500 or 4000 into somebody else's jeans, let's at least put them into my jeans. Let's buy a place and be paying myself. So, you know, I know that a 30-year mortgage can seem daunting, but you are at least paying yourself and adding in, uh, you know, the wealth to yourself. And it tends to be that people stay 7 to 10 years and then move into a place they've, Maybe get a better job, whatnot. They get married. Um, so I, I'm finding that there the market is slowing right now a little bit. Like we had a bit of a, a push in the spring and even into the summer, but there are certain segments of the market that are still that are still fairly active and in in what we call a seller's market.
0: And this is the kind of year, isn't it? So we're into October. Do tens, uh, things tend to kind of slow down October and then through the holidays and then pick up again?
2: Well, it's yeah, there's usually September, October is another push. And then as we do, we start to, you know, November can be sort of steady. December's where things really slow down. People have maybe had their place on the market. It's probably been overpriced. They're not getting the offers or what they want. So they take it off, they reevaluate. And often they'll come back in the spring and say, okay, I'm ready to go. Or, you know, January, February and and have it at more of the ballpark price where they are seeing comparable selling. Um, You know, it's hard for people to sell a place lower than they saw it at the peak. But, you know, if you move in the same market, you're sort of attuning to the same price gains and losses. And it's actually a a decent time to move up from a two-bedroom into a house if you can. Because those prices have, you know, aren't rocketing up right now with all these multiple offers. Um, And, you know, a lot of the units have suites, right? So you have somebody living in there. You have that income uh, assistance, really. Um, And, and, I mean, I'm finding more and more people are finding places where their parents are going to live downstairs or in a laneway house. So I think we just need to change the way we think and and change the way we operate and and get off this knot, you know, no density. That has definitely got to happen. and and just be creative about how and where you live because I I see people whenever I have a new client I say like what's your budget first of all and what are you looking for and then maybe we can sort of match that to an area like I know you might have your A area you know but let's see if you really want a place do we have to move out to Port Coquitlam or is it Richmond and whatnot and yeah you're on the SkyTrain line so it's it's easier to get there. So right now, inventory is is, is, is decent in most areas. So in that terms, we're not, going, we're not in multiple offers. And I know, Jill, from 16 years of experience, when interest rates come down, and I do think they will a little bit at some point, that's when the market booms again and you're in multiple offers. So that's why I think now is a good time to buy, even with the higher rates, if you can work them, because things should be coming down in the next couple of years, I think.
0: All right, Doug, always good to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: You're welcome, Jill. Thanks for chatting.
0: We were just talking with Doug Gibson, a real estate agent with Stillhaven Real Estate Services, talking about the Ipsos poll, finding a lot of people are giving up on that goal of home ownership. Doug talked about people getting creative, about the need for more density. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, Maybe you found some creative ways to help your kids or to change things up in the housing market. Let's go to Karen on the open line. Karen, go ahead. Hi, Jill. Hi. I just wanted
3: to say that my husband and I are about two years away from retiring, and our daughter still lives with us. She's 30 and a bit. And uh, anyway, uh, she is saving, but the whole test with the federal government with uh, qualifying for a mortgage has put her at a disadvantage. So we're obviously going to have to step in and help her. So we need to do this before we retire because once we retire, it's really difficult to for anybody that's in the retirement mode to get financing. They look at everything that, you know, your assets but they put us in a different category now because we're old. So anyway I just wanted to say that there's a lot of parents out there that are in the same boat. I suggested to my husband that we buy a teardown house and build a duplex and have our kids live in it. And you know changing behavior and changing mindset is exactly what your guest said. We have to start changing our mindset. Look at Europe, how dense it is. And everybody lives together in India. People live together. It's, it's part of the world. We're an in anomaly in North America that people expect to have their own space all the time. It's, it's just interesting.
0: And, and you make an interesting point. And I've heard of other people doing that exact thing, looking at whether it's a laneway house or some kind. So you still, are, you still have your own living space, but you are sharing that and, and staying as a family unit, which I think for a lot of people works quite well.
3: Especially if you know they decide to have children, then guess you will know, we'll be the will be the caregivers for the children. Eventually, they really are caregivers. But you know, <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things that the circle of life. But we really need to start thinking outside the box. I really wish that our government, federal government, would bring back the co-op program. It was a great program. That's how we started. We were in affordable housing and we were able to save. But people paying three, 000, four thousand dollars a month, there's no way that they can save.
0: No, absolutely not. Uh, Karen, thanks for this. Appreciate the call.
3: Thank you. Take care, Jill. Happy
0: Thanksgiving. You too. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. I look forward to food photos. I know Karen always posts, well, not always, but posts some great uh, food photos. Let's go to Jay in Surrey. Jay, what are your thoughts? Hi, Hi, Jay. how are you? Hi, good. What are your thoughts on this?
4: So about seven years ago, I started with $10,000 to buy a home. I bought a foreclosure property, a little condo, fixed it up got my hands dirty, sold that six months later for $250,000. Took that profit, bought another condo, fixed that up. Just as COVID hit, I bought a house. Now I'm in a house that's worth about $1.7 million. My basement suite, and in about $3,000 a month in rent. I made it, I did it. I did what I had to do. I got my hands dirty, I took all the risks that I needed to take. If I didn't buy a house, I took, I, if I just kept waiting and waiting and waiting, I would never been able to buy a property. Right. The key is buy now, don't think about later. But
0: do you think you would be able to do that now if you if you were just starting that now? Still
4: could do it. Still can do it now because you know what? Because the interest rates have gone up so high the people that can't afford their homes, they have to lose them to the bank. Buy a foreclosure if you can. Hmm. I just looked at a property in Maple Ridge, one point five million for a two acre lot. For one point five million. That is unheard of. There's so much property out there that's, that's still available to be purchased on foreclosures. That's the best way to get into buying property. The number one route to getting into the property is buying a foreclosure. Not in Vancouver, you got to move out. you got to leave Vancouver behind. It's a great place to like be young and have fun in, but as you become an adult, you got to leave. Go to suburbs, live your life, you'll be much happier in the long run.
0: All right, Jay, thanks for that. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I'm not sure that works for everybody, but I do get what you're saying. Uh-huh. Hans in Langley, you've got about 30 seconds. Last word goes to you.
1: I, I think we got to change how we look at things. Uh, if you look at Europe, there's, there isn't a house over there that just one family lives in. They all have three or four or five uh, places, and, and I think it's just too expensive. The, the city's gotten too big, and, and it is what it is.
0: some documents that have been released through an access to information request are showing just how much it costs for the prime minister to vacation in tofino in august and joining me to talk more about this is brian Passifum, parliament bureau reporter with the national post is where you can read more about this as well brian that joins me on the line though thank you so much for being with us
5: well, oh, happy to be here. Good afternoon. Uh,
0: these are figures, I think, that might surprise people. But can you give us a bit of background and uh, tell me again what you were able to find out and what numbers were revealed in the the documents through this access to information request?
5: Yeah, the, the Prime Minister's vacations are, they tend to be very expensive just on the, uh, uh, such when you're dealing with the operational uh logistics of of transporting the prime minister across country in the government jet he's he's forbidden by policy to fly commercial even on vacation uh and then um going along with him is a contingent of rcmp officers for security and that's what the uh the, the documents that uh that I, that I was able to get uh talk about the uh the uh as you know last uh I guess it's not last month anymore. Back in August, uh, the prime minister went to Tofino. The Times is flying away from me. Uh, went to Tofino to uh, uh, to vacation. Uh, you know, obviously one of the more popular vacation destinations for the Trudeau family. And uh, the the documents that uh, I got uh, put the uh, the cost, uh to uh, guard the prime minister from the RCMP at uh, two hundred eighty seven thousand um, dollars. Which when you look back at his other vacations, uh, you know the the security costs. Are up in that figure, up in the $200,000 range. Uh, just the, the cost of the uh, salaries and overtime and logistics and everything else of, of, of transporting and, and lodging his uh, security personnel.
0: And uh, and to, to go into those numbers, so like you said, the, the Prime Minister has to fly on the, the government aircraft, can't fly commercial, but I think that reimburses what a commercial flight would, would maybe cost, but, but is, has to fly on that. No one is suggesting that the Prime Minister of Canada doesn't need security. Of course, he should have security, but that still seems like a very large number when we're talking about policing costs for a trip that lasted from August 10th to the 18th, doesn't it?
5: Yeah, it is. And it's I it's one of those things that I have. I asked the RCMP that question. They they didn't uh, they didn't get back to me by by the time the story published. But, uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's one of those incidentals when uh, even if the prime minister did, was able to travel commercially, you'd still have that security charge there. And, and yeah, and that's and you're exactly right. No one's suggesting a the prime minister isn't allowed to take a vacation or B should be allowed to take a vacation without some sort of security. But, you know, the, the costs, the costs are what they are.
0: Does it break it down anymore, though? Because like you said, so it's $287,000 in the policing costs. And that's more, though, uh, if you look at RCMP security, uh, after a five day trip, a shorter trip to uh, shorter, but not that much shorter uh, to a ski vacation, um, $82,000 more for the Tofino one, does it break down, like you said, overtime and that but even even so, it still seems like a lot.
5: These are questions that, that I've often asked in, in covering these stories. I've, I've, I've covered this, this, I guess, the, the prime minister vacation beat for a few years now. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things. The RCMP refused to offer details on pretty much anything under the guise of you know violating security, um, how many officers they have, how much it costs to lodge them, where they stayed, how they stayed. You know, those details like that are next to impossible to get out of the RCMP. In fact, getting, getting any comment out of the RCMP these days is, is next to impossible. But uh, yeah, that's uh, it's it's one of those things that that myself and other people who who cover these stories, we, we try hard to try to drill those numbers down. But it's, uh, you know, the best they'll give us is that the expenses they say include overtime, shift differentials, travel expenses, meals, incidentals, per diems, that kind of thing. But getting any more details... Deeper than that is, is is next to impossible.
0: Do you know how it uh, compares to, or if we look at previous prime ministers and travel expenses, is this what Canadians have been paying for all along? Is it pretty? Uh, this is a, the the average amount, or is it different? Do you think, or from what you've seen from previous uh, previous leaders?
5: I haven't covered previous leaders. I've the the, the stories that I have read and the other re, the reporting I've done on, say, Prime Minister Harper's. Uh, uh, you know, the other they're up there, too. You know, he's got the same issues that, uh, that that Prime Minister Trudeau faces in terms of not, you know, being being required to use real Canadian Air Force jets to even go on vacation which is something that is really rare around the world you know i think we're all used to seeing the president of the united states and the kind of the security cocoon that he's put in but you know other world leaders around the world you know they they fly commercial you know boris johnson was was a regular sight in the in the economy section of airplanes flying with his then girlfriend to vacations when he was prime minister so it's um you know as as long as as long as we have policies and rules in place that require the prime minister to take the most expensive mode of transportation possible, then you're always going to see these huge bills when, you know, when it comes time to uh, look at the receipts for vacations.
0: And uh, not to get too far into the prime minister's personal life. But again, if we're looking at these numbers and people will remember that this was around the same time that the Trudeaus announced that they were separating. uh, Do you think that a week after? Yes, very, very close to that time. So they were still... Vacationing and as a family, though, and I know it's difficult to get any kind of breakdown, but could you make the, the, the jump that perhaps because they were still vacationing as a family but separated, would that require more police officers if they're not actually together all of the time?
5: That, that is really hard to tell. And like I said, you know, the sort of the, the, the knowledge of, of how RS, how the RCMP does uh, protection details is, is is a mystery and probably that's a good reason that uh, those that information are really well known. But yeah, that, that's one of the questions that uh, you have. Obviously, if she's not living, I, I don't know where she would be living outside of Rideau Cottage. Wherever she's living, I'm sure she has some sort of a security detail that tags along with her. So, yeah, obviously it's, uh, you know, that would definitely drive the costs up. But, um, you know, whether that would impact their protection details during the vacation, it, it's really hard to say.
0: <laughs> and I, I know you uh, have quoted, or the, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation is mentioned in your piece on this as well, and Franco Terrazano saying, you know, at a time when people are really struggling, it's uh, the, the Trudeaus are taking not one, not two, but several big-ticket Trips. Uh, There is also the Mm taxpayer-funded cottage that that the Prime Minister has at Harrington Lake. And I suppose just the optics of that and the price tag that goes with these trips at this time where uh, we're also talking about grocery prices and all of these things that are so expensive.
5: You know, optics, and particularly these days, is something that the the Liberal Party is really having a hard time dealing with these days. And you're exactly right. The uh, and he's exactly right. This, this would have been the third vacation that the the have taken this year. They spent New Year's in Jamaica. Uh, they had their um, their their Easter trip to, uh, ski trip to Montana that uh, the CBC uh, wrote about yesterday. About how the government wasn't exactly forthcoming with how much that trip costs. And, and, and this one here, the Tofino trip. So, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, all in those, those trips uh, cost, uh, you know, $678,000, which um, you know, is, is is several annual salaries of, of your listeners, mine and yours as well. But yeah, I, I think we're dealing with the optics of, you know, people are having a hard time affording a roof over their heads, food and things like that is, you know, does the prime minister really need to take three you know, vacations in one year. It's something I think that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are asking right now.
0: Definitely. And uh, we are going to put that question to our listeners as well. Brian, thank you so much. Always great to have you on the show. Appreciate your time.
5: Always happy to be here. Thank you so much.